Grace and peace. You're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians pray and think about race in ways that are biblical and helpful, clear and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, previous episodes, and more. Grace and peace. This is Austin Suter, joined by Isaac Adams. How you doing, Isaac? Hey, man. Doing well. Isaac, we get all kinds of feedback, let's say, on our ministry. Mm -hmm. The public accounts all come to me. Praise the Lord. I get our most, we'll say, spirited comments. Yeah. And can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. Because I actually think, I want to highlight this because Austin's too humble to say it. There's a, that is a real service to me that you read those things. One, I think it's just helpful because of the way I'm built. I'd be more prone to discouragement than you would be. So there's just a human man-to-man level. But two, yeah, I think you stepped in and said, hey, let the white guy read the hate mail. You don't need to be reading that. And I really appreciated that. And I, d- I don't know the amount we get. I know we get it. But you carry that load. And I think that's useful when we talk about that kind of analogy when you're asking, um, and we just you know recorded another episode about hiring diversely, and let's just say you're asking someone to run with the perspective, the racial perspective within an organization, not the because everyone has one, but you know what I mean. When you're asking someone to carry the football of this conversation, you've got to block for that person. Mm. You can't just let them get sacked and be like, "You go talk about it." And sorry if they chew you up out there, man. We'll watch from the sideline. And so, Austin, just to commend you, brother. You do a lot of blocking for me in that, and it allows me to actually speak more freely and speak and teach and write uh, in this organization. So thank you for that, man. I was not planning on saying that, but it's just a little thing that people wouldn't understand or see, and I want to draw it out. Well, and I think you have helped me understand what a big deal it is. I mean, you've written and taught a lot about historical asymmetry and Mm -hmm. even just explaining to somebody why – the n-word is different from calling somebody a cracker a cracker Mm -hmm. that's not the same thing it's not and uh so yeah i i just it it wouldn't have always occurred to me that i could read those at less emotional expense to myself than you would Mm -hmm. so anyways i get all of our feedback and uh I would say, just to encourage listeners, and I know we've been talking about hate mail. We get a lot less hate mail than we used to. Mm. Um, And most of the time, when y'all reach out to talk to us about an episode, you're really encouraging. Mm. And uh, we don't take that lightly. Thank you for that. Thank you. And And I do see the encouragement. So that's great. Yes, I share the encouragement. Yeah. Um, I recently got some feedback at a much more personal level um, Mm. about sort of this ministry and this work. I was explaining to somebody that I was going to be taking the executive director job at United We Pray. And uh, this this person I was, I was speaking to is a Christian and they were incredulous. They, they scoffed at me and said, you know, that's, they didn't think it was worthwhile. Hmm. They didn't think that was the kind of work Christians ought to be spending their time doing. And this was from a Christian organization, mind you. Yes. I think that perspective is more common maybe hmm. than it is articulated. Mm, God help us. Yeah, hopefully I'm wrong, Mm. but 
I do think there are people who wonder, is an organization like United We Pray worthwhile? Is it a waste of time? How big a deal is this conversation in the year of our Lord, 2023? Yeah. You know, look how far we've come. These yeah. are all the all the objections I'm sort of anticipating. And once I, you know, hear and read often, mm-hmm. I think, how big a deal is this? Well, I want to know what you what you said. Like, in, in some sense, I want to ask you, like, it was a big enough deal for you to leave your other job. A big enough deal for me to move across the country. I mean, I, but, I care about this immensely. Yeah. So why? Uh, I look at our cities, our country, and you can see diversity, however you define that, mm-hmm. in, in some senses, everywhere but church. I know that's mm-hmm. not true. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's not true, but it, it can feel that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think the And current, you certainly can't say right now at the current landscape, you can especially see it in church. Yeah. Generally, but go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, so Dr. King said that the most segregated hour in the country was, you know, mm-hmm. during Sunday morning services. And you still you still see it. You, see, you don't see uh, churches, especially around these parts, uh, that are as ethnically diverse as society at large. Mm. Um, and I think that lies about the reconciling power of the gospel. Mm. And I am deeply concerned to correct that untruth. Mm, mm. Well, thank you for sharing that, bro. And what I do want to highlight, because I don't know if we've highlighted in an episode yet, and then I'll answer the question, uh, is that we've expanded your role at United We Pray, and this is an exciting thing. I know we said this in the season teaser, but we can't praise God for it enough. I mean, goodness, man. I'm just, the fact that you did move across the country, and we're doing this work in Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. Got a pretty particular history there, right? Amen. Amen. Let me uh, speak to it. Um, one, I love your connection to the gospel because Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, by this, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Satan is keenly interested then in Christians hating one another. One of the chief ways Satan has sought to invoke Christians to hate one another is through ethnic strife, racial strife, conflict, uh, cultural battles, See Acts 6, and at least in the history of America, and I'm sure in other, many other places at many different times, this is one of the main ways he wreaked havoc on the church's witness. And we don't have to look far to see that. Um, churches, especially during Jim Crow area, were one of the last places to integrate and that makes on one level that makes sense because churches aren't federally owned so you can't you can't force them they're voluntary associations uh and so yeah they were a lot of these churches were the the strongest places of resistance and so so going back to that John thirteen thirty five, what I say is if you care, by this the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. John seventeen twenty one. We want, uh, Father, let us be one that the world may believe you really did send the Son. If you care about the church's apologetic witness to the world, its evangelistic bent, if you care about evangelism, you've got to care about racism. It's a big deal. It was a big enough deal uh, for churches to— put a flag in the ground to say you are unwelcome here. It's yeah. a big enough deal that people get fired over it when they preach certain sermons or quote certain people. It's a big enough deal 
that organ. I mean, I it, it's hard to talk about this and stay level. I mean, it's a big enough deal that churches were burned down over it. Yeah, it's a big enough deal that four little girls died in Birmingham over a bomb. So when you, and it's a big enough deal that if you were to ask what, what how big of a deal is this, I want to say that's a localized perspective within a certain community. Because there's plenty of people who are not wondering how big of a deal this is. And they happen to be poor. Their schools happen to suck more. I mean, it's just, this is, this is, it gets to one of the most fundamental realities. Mike Tomlin said this, interestingly enough. He was like, here, here it comes when Football coach. For those of you who don't know. Right. Okay. Football coach. And this was around, I forget the, I even forget the dear guy's name when, anyway. But he said, here, here's the fundamental difference. A lot of white folks are saying, how much longer do we have to keep talking about this? And a lot of black folks are waiting for the real conversation to get started. Oh, wow. And that right there. That's a monster. I know. If there's ever a revised talk, version of talking about race, it's going in there. Um, that right there, I think some of, a lot of folks are asking, how big a deal is this? And I think they're also the same ones asking, uh, how much longer do we have to keep talking about this? So I wrote an article about a year ago, and the premise of the article was very simple. It was white people often engage racism as an idea rather than an experience. Mm-hmm. So it was one of your best pieces. It's so good. Put that in the show. Oh, notes. thanks for that. Yeah, we'll we'll put that in the show notes. I mean, the basic premise is exactly like it sounds. Most white folks, I say most, not all, yeah. have not experienced um, ethnic animosity in a way that affected them. Yep. Uh, because of that, we can only engage it as a hypothetical or through close relationship with others. Yep. And because we live in a society where folks often live such segregated lives, sometimes for reasons they had nothing to do with choosing, yep. uh, that sort of closeness, that perspective can be hard to come by. Yep. I mean, I think about my own life like this is what I do now for a job. Yep. That doesn't happen without a – specific set of relationships the Lord brought into my life over time. Mm, go ahead, brother. That uh, expanded my world. Mm. I mean, I grew up in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, white, 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 white. Mm. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have black friends until college. Mm. And uh, getting to know people, seeing different experiences and realizing, okay, these, these people who are my friends – have a very different experience in the same country I grew up in. I, I, I had no categories for that. I had to learn that. I had to be taught that. Mm. And that was work. And before then, I had no skin in the game. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea how big a deal this conversation was. Mm. Man. Well, and I, yeah, and I think you've highlighted so many things there, but just to draw one out is anyone who's married knows that just because something isn't a big deal to you, doesn't mean it's not a big deal to someone else. And so what you're getting at is I think when you're asking that question, it might show you're in more of a vacuum than you realize because you're asking, well, how big of a deal is this? It's not a big deal to anyone I know. And that's exactly what your story highlights is like, you might need to know some different kinds of folks. Yeah. You might need to read some different kinds of things while we constantly talk about books. And, uh, you know, I want to, for someone listening to this to be like, man, I used to think how big of a deal, or I used to wonder how big of a deal is this? Um, what can I do about this? And I think what you're saying is get out of your bubble. Yeah. Get out of your bubble. 
And you can even get out of your bubble by reading. I mean, just read about Frederick Douglass's life. Just read uh, about, uh, you know, his narrative of the life um, of a slave, that first autobiography he did. You just read these things and you see, it's just like, maybe my assumptions, or as Ed Copeland says, it's so helpful, your universe isn't universal. Yeah, that's good. And so maybe some of my starting assumptions aren't correct, or at least are limited, and they're incomplete. And that's what your your college example is showing. And, you know, you've heard me say this story, and I'll keep saying it. You know, my mom, when she figured out I was moving to Birmingham, she said, I, wouldn't, I will never come to that city because yep. of what they did to those four little girls. And my mom was old enough to be one of those girls. She's engaging it on a different level. So for her, it's a very big deal. And if, you know, your grandma was spat on and dogs chased after them, their house burned down, it'd be a big deal to you too. Yeah. I want to be careful not to assume motives, but I've had enough of these conversations to know that for some people, the question, how big a deal is this, is actually a statement, which is, this is not a big deal. Mm. Because you start to engage, you start to, you know, say why you think this is a big deal and you're immediately met with resistance and preformed mm. arguments about mm. how long ago racism was dealt with mm. and you know yeah and it's really odd i mean we just this will bleed no one is saying lust isn't a big deal right. no one is saying anger is not a big deal like these sins and uh, it's like we agree this is a sin right we agree that sins don't have expiration dates on them right like, we're going to be talking about this till Jesus comes back. For whatever reason, this sin is a taboo topic in a lot of people's minds. It's like, don't go there because you're just reifying the problem. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is. Like, I, it, yeah. people think it's the only kind of self-reinforcing sin. Yeah, it's like, but we can talk about greed because that's a, a, a safe sin to talk about. And that one's still around? Yeah. There's, There's... I will admit, and this is, you know, <laughs> a testament to how real the Holy Spirit is and, uh, and that he— Are you going to say something is, good about the Tar Heels? Uh, no. Why? They win? <laughs> Continue. What I was going to share is that I think probably the first five or six responses I had to that question, why is this a big deal, were like auto-deleted by my brain before <laughs> they got to my mouth. Um, the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit yeah. is real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it that question makes me mad, if I'm honest. Mm. And I, I, I want to tamp down that instinct because I think it can be asked genuinely. I mm. think it, it yeah. can come from a sincere place seeking understanding. It's not always that way. Mm -hmm. But the, the obvious connection to me when I think about racism is the people in my life it affects or may affect mm. or will affect. And it, it really charges me up. It really gets me going. It really makes me emotional. So it's, it's so tied to my love for specific people that my answer is because I love these people. Mm, that's good, brother. And that raises a question for me. It was like, do, don't, don't you have, <laughs> mm -hmm. don't you have relationships like that? Don't you have people you love? If, if not, there's, there's the question you need to be answering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we pray one day, United, we pray would go out of business due to lack of demand or necessity. It is not at all clear <laughs> that 
that demand has been satisfied or that the need has been met. Yeah. And, you know, we are clear, man. Like we say on, you know, our go to the about page. We we're not saying no progress has been made. Praise God. It's been made. We want to recognize good has come and this country really has changed a lot. No doubt. But the human heart is still deceitful, <laughs> desperately sick. And systems that have been set up, even if off the books legally, still have effects. And we have real neighbors to think about. You know, it's just when you live in a segregated place like Birmingham, it's easier to just drive right past them and never think about them and think, is this really that big a deal? Yeah. I uh, to, to let the listeners in on sort of where we're at in personal lives and everything else, we are due my wife and I, any day now with our second child, we're Mm. expecting a boy. And you've caught me in an emotionally vulnerable point in this as I think about having a son who's not white Mm. in America. Mm. And ways I need to prepare him for life that I've never personally considered. Mm. That really gets to me. I mean, Mm. that... I, that's keep you up at night kind of stuff. Mm. So, yeah, those are some of the reasons why this matters to me. Man, well, I think on that one, man, you do one thing at least you do because I think you're thinking wisely about equipping your son, but you pray for your kids. We have young kids. We know enough to know that it's just like their their lives are out of our control. Yeah. And... We really don't have any idea what will happen tomorrow even. Yeah. Much less, Lord willing, when your beautiful son is 18. And so we really do pray that the Lord would deliver us and them from evil. Yeah. And keep us and them from temptation. I think this is a good time as any to pray for that. Sounds good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us and our children not into temptation. And deliver us and our children from all evil, including the evil birth by ethnic hatred. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of United We Pray. You can find more information about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com. United We Pray is a donor-supported ministry, and if you are interested in supporting our work, you can find out more information on the website. 